Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks that we can come and learn and consider your omnipotence, your omniscience. We pray that it would not be a dry thing, but that it would uh, warm our hearts, that it would create worship for you, and that it would uh, help us to love you more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're taking a look at... You guys, did you guys all grab one already? We're taking a look at the omniscience and the omnipotence of God. Good morning. Um, what the? See, so, if they were parallel, wouldn't it be omnipotence and omniscience? Wait, sorry, say that again? Omni- They're pronounced differently. Um, They're pronounced differently. Yeah. I think omnipotence and the omniscience <laughs> of God. Okay, so... It's a, it's kind of a, it feels a little bit straightforward, so I want to do a little bit, uh, something a little bit different today, so we're just going to go pretty quickly, pretty briefly through just what the doctrines are basically teaching, and then I want to spend the majority of our time, like, discussing what some of these implications mean, um, or how it plays out, and so these are some tricky questions on the bottom, and then we can consider other questions if you guys have others. (laughs) Um, okay, great. So let's start with the omniscience. Does anybody know what omniscience means? Without looking, Delia, at the definition, does anybody know what <laughs> omniscience means? This is where you double major biology. You major in all the sciences. All the sciences. <laughs> so. I think it's like one of those things that I feel like everybody knows and you just don't want to answer it. Okay, so um, omniscience, omniscience basically means all-knowing, right? Um, like omnivore versus carnivore, herbivore, all you know, science. So all-knowing. And so we say that God is all-knowing. Um, and so what does that mean? Uh, this, if, this is a helpful definition that Grudem uses, so I just want to go through it. Um, so we'll just break it down into a couple of different pieces and consider what he's trying to get at. And so he says that God fully knows himself and all things. Himself and all things. And so basically we already talked about how God is infinite. And like uh, we can't know God because he's an infinite God. But because God is infinite himself, he can know himself fully and perfectly. This, so he's, even though he's infinite, he can know himself and all things, right? Um, we see things like in Matthew 10.30 it's down there it says but even the hairs of your head are all numbered so God knows everything like even um, so he knows everything and then so that's a little bit straightforward and then he talks about how it's actual and possible what does that mean does anybody want to venture a guess what how these two things are different Got, I gotta warm you guys up for when we are gonna have our vibrant, lively, controversial discussion. So, <laughs> actual and possible. Somebody wanna. One's a potential, one's a reality. Yeah, so one's potential, and the other one's something that's actually happened, you said? Yeah, so. Um, and the reason why that's uh, important, well, so first of all, the idea that God knows things that have actually happened, that's, that's I feel like that's pretty straightforward. Uh, but the idea that God also knows things that are possible or potential. Uh, throughout the Bible, there's a couple instances, for example, where 
where Jesus, oh, in Matthew 10, he's like rebuking certain cities. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if, uh, if Tyre and Sidon, if, no, woe to you, Tyre and Sidon, if uh, Sodom and Gomorrah had heard the warning, if they had seen the miracles performed in you, then they would have, re- uh, they would have repented long ago. And so the idea that God even knows like all the different potential caveats. And, that, and the reason, again, why that's, another reason why that's important is because sometimes people think that God can only know things that are independent from human actions. Like, can God really know how we're going to act? And if he does know how we're going to act, then doesn't that contradict our free will and everything? And so we're going to, we'll, we'll revisit that. But Grudem is basically saying that he, God knows everything that actually happens and everything that's possible or potential. Um, and then the idea that this is one simple eternal. And so, one simple. Anybody want to guess what Grudem is trying to get at when he says, God knows everything in one simple act? So if it's simple, it's not complex or many part many parts. <coughs> what might that mean? So basically, he's all he's trying to get at is the idea that God, His knowledge is simple, meaning that it's it doesn't require thinking. Like He doesn't have to like like when you say, "Oh, how many hairs do you have on your head?" God doesn't have to like really quickly count, or He doesn't have to like think about it or like you know think through the reason or logic and then come to some conclusion the idea that god has always known it it's always fully present in his consciousness it's not like he remembered oh yeah you know eric chow once had long hair and then he has to like kind of like look back into his memory and then and then be able to tell it but he always is aware he's fully conscious of all the details uh and it's it's before him he doesn't have to like think through it um, then the idea that it's eternal, what might that mean? That God's omniscience is eternal, is an eternal act. He's always known it. Yeah. Um, you want to elaborate as opposed to? Um, yes, you wait for things to unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like God. Is somehow growing in his knowledge as time passes. He's like becoming more perfect or more knowledgeable. God has always known it from past, present, and future. He knows the entire scope of everything. Uh, so, in its eternity. And then there's just a couple verses. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but oh, Psalm one thirty nine goes back to the idea that even before a t- word is on our mouth, uh, even before a word is on our tongue. God knows it all together. And so God is all knowing. Uh, any clarifying questions so far? We'll get to the sticky issues in a minute. Alright. In that case, let's go really quickly to the omnipotence. <coughs> Anybody want to guess what <laughs> omnipotence means? All-powerful, all yes. <laughs> you guys know what it means when you're not potent? Never mind. Okay. Um, so, omnipotent. Uh, basically, <laughs> Gurudam's definition over here says, God is able to do all his holy will, right? 
uh, and these very and throughout the scripture we find that God is all powerful so that he can even speak and stars are coming into formation galaxies universes are being formed uh, that God can do anything and everything that he um, desires and so in Matthew 19 uh, you know the disciples are like talking about like oh salvation is impossible you know how can a camel go through the eye of a needle and Jesus says with man it's impossible but with God all things are possible right God is God can do all things and then even Abraham when he's 99 years old when Sarah is 90 years old he can he can or she can give birth right so God can do anything he's all powerful uh, but the caveat is that uh, God is able to do all his holy will why is that an important caveat. What do you guys think? What is Gruden trying to get at? So are there things that he can't do? Yes. Why? What do you mean? Can't kill himself. Or, th or things that contradict his nature, which is holy and pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, there are things that he can't do, so he can't sin, he can't lie, he can't be not holy, he can't not exist, so he can't kill himself. Or like, what's the, in fifth grade, like, can God create a hot dog so big that even he can't eat it? I think it's a rock, it's a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can he create a rock that's oh, so large that he himself can't lift it? Hot what's, dogs what's, what's, weird. What's, what's wrong with that? Break it down for us logically. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? <laughs> let, me ask, let me turn it around. <laughs> Why can't God create a rock so big that he, even he can't create it? Or even he can't lift it? Is it because the question implies something about God that isn't true? Mm. What do you mean? Can you... Like, uh, the question insinuates that God can do something that will lead him to not be able to do something. Yes, that's so exactly it's kind of contradictory. Mm -hmm. The question is asking a nonsense yeah. question. It, it, to break down the logic, the question is basically saying, can God be God and not God simultaneously? Uh, and the answer is, that's a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> there are such things as dumb questions. That's a dumb question. <laughs> that is a dumb question. <laughs> um, Okay, so God is all-powerful, and yet he, uh, He's all-powerful to do His holy will. And so He's not going to be evil. He's not going to not be God. Uh, any clarifying questions about God's omnipotence? And then there's just a... Again, there's a couple more verses. Alright. Hopefully you guys had a chance to look at some of these questions, and now we'll get to discussing so and these aren't like exhaustive but these are just I feel like some more common ones and so let's begin okay so number one if God knows and or has ordained everything according to his according to his will do we really have free will doesn't his predestination or his predestinating will make impossible man's ability to choose so let's try that Okay. What do you guys think? 
Does does God sovereignty? How does how do these two interact? Here, let's let's take a more concrete example. Uh, when it comes to election, or like you know, people being saved, who who does what? Is God sovereign, and is He in control, or are humans in control? Or if it's a little bit of both, how do, how does it work? Is it like fifty fifty? I would draw the human box inside the God sovereignty box, except with the dotted line. With the dotted line. What is what does this represent though? It kinda of sounded cool. <laughs> <laughs> well well it does look cool, you're right. But what are you trying to get at when you say it should be like a dotted line and it should be inside God's sovereignty? Well I think I think God does elect people to believe in him and to see his goodness and I think at that time when like, people's eyes are open to his goodness then they choose to believe in him and love him but I don't think they could like, get to that point without him initiating it mm. so you feel like it's it's a it's a matter of God initiating it and then so God starts it and then man Respond so that in some ways man is still responsible to respond, but it's God who initiates the conversation. Kind of, but I, I think I would also add that I think if if a person's eyes were truly open to see like, the character of God and the nature of God, that um, the choice would always be unanimous. And choice is unanimous, as in like no nobody would choose not to. Mm. love God if they like truly had their hearts and minds open to him yes yeah, so I like that phrase you're using about like eyes being opened or hearts being opened what is because it seems like you're trying to imply that God has to even open the eyes and so that people's response is only a response to what God has already initiated or what God what God has done um, so let me let me say that maybe there's this is this might be an easier way to think about it. Um, so man is not free, or it's just an illusion. So this is one extreme. The other extreme is to say God is not really in control. He's not in control. That everything he really does is just a response to man's. Uh, he responds to man, so that man is truly free. And it's really free. So there's the other extreme. And so you're saying, Neiman, that God, that you're taking some middle position, I don't know where. But that <laughs> idea that God <laughs> is in control, he starts it, but man is free to respond because God has made him free. Something... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like free, but not. I think not free in the sense that like, we traditionally define that word. Interesting. What do you mean? So how do you, how how? Would you, and you guys, some other people can interact with you guys. <laughs> how is free normally interact? Uh, how is free normally defined? 
free will. <laughs> so what does that mean when people say free will? Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard it defined as like you're in control of your own destiny, but that's like mm-hmm. contradictory to. <laughs> Predestination. Yeah, I guess because predestination says that you're not in control of your own, in in some sense. Other thoughts? How, How? Well, I should say that I don't think we're gonna find like a perfect answer. That. Uh, there's always this tension because the Bible says both things, right? That God is in control. That God, God is in control, and that man is free. That he can choose. That um, because of our choices, we are held responsible for our choices. It'd be weird if we don't have a choice, and God is like punishing us for things that we didn't have control over. Right? And so, man is free, and God is in control. We're just trying to figure out: are the two? Inconsistent, or are the two mutually exclusive? Um, any anybody else want to venture? I guess. I think maybe yeah. there's a certain amount of freedom that you have. Mm-hmm. Like for example, coming to church today, you have freedom to choose what road you want to go on. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to salvation, if you believe in predestination, then you don't really God already ordained who's going to be saved. Okay, so you feel like maybe in like the broad strokes of history, like thing, like bigger things like salvation or like um, I don't know wars, like God has ordained it. But like in the smaller things, like you know what time you brush your teeth, or like what kind of clothes you put on, then God is like it, it's more of our choice at that point. So God is like up here, and then man chooses like the minuter things. What do you guys think? Sounds like a system of allowances. What do you, what does that mean? <clears throat> that we're free to do whatever we want within a certain allowance. And that well, that sounds bad, but um, that God allows us to make choices, um, or he or he or he initiates them himself. Because um, even even like within our government. We're free to pursue happiness, right? But within the laws established by our government, mm-hmm. um, could that possibly apply <clears throat> in the perspective of God as well? Mm, let's see. So, yeah, the idea that that God, there's like a certain amount of freedom, but it's not like the fullness of the freedom. Sounds like say like. There's like some kind of allowance that God gives us, or that the government gives us, but ultimately we're still not truly free. I don't know. Is that am I reading you correctly? Well, in that, well, assuming that um, if if you are, well, if you don't, if if you're not part of the, if you're not part of this state, for example, you don't really. You know, if you're not living in the country, you don't have to. For example, if you're living in Hong Kong, you don't have to follow laws of the United States in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, unless you know they overlap. But but if you are a believer, God God would allow you to make certain choices 
And then, of course, there are... Because otherwise, there wouldn't be... Why would there be a consequence to choices if if, if there wasn't a, a, a system of allowances mm -hmm. where we would have a choice? Because otherwise, there, there would be no point in consequence, right? Mm -hmm. So... You know, and this, yeah. is, this is at the, uh, the level that we can see, because we're assuming, as Pastor Mike described a couple of weeks ago, that if we mm -hmm. continue to go higher up, it, it becomes a level that we can't yeah. possibly comprehend. <clears throat> yeah, so we, yeah, we want to recognize that ultimately, like, like, we're, like, very finite. We don't know how God operates in his lofty state. We don't know, like, you know his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts. Um, and so ultimately we're just trying to, like, grasp in the dark. Uh, but the Bible does make some things clear. And so... I think you guys are all trying to touch on the same thing, which is that God is really in control, but maybe the way we understand our freedom, um, freedom is, or, you know, the kinds of allowances that God gives us, um, or the, the places, whether it's smaller things, like where we really get our freedom or how we typically define our freedom. Uh, and so Pastor Michael talked about this a couple months ago in his sermon. Um, but the idea that freedom, you're... In, in a sense, you are free. You are free to do whatever you want to do. But you're not absolutely free. So, uh, absolute freedom versus man's freedom, right? And so, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You can brush your teeth. You can play the piano. You can uh, read the Bible. Um, I don't know. You can do things but you you are always bound by your nature or you're bound by what you like so you're free to do what you like um and the example the illustration uh, that we heard was if you feel like you're absolutely free then if if someone were to offer you a plate of poo poo would you eat it would you eat it no i i think a lot of people would say no, I'm not going to eat this. I, I, I can't eat this. This is gross. Why? In a sense, you are free to eat poo-poo. Nobody's going like, to stop you from eating that. Uh, but in another sense, you're hindered. You're limited because that's not what you like. That's not in your nature. So that, so that even though God is... God... Here, Man, free. So that even though God is sovereign, we our freedom is not the kind of freedom that we expect to do. And so, like when it comes to, for example, we use like example of election. A lot of people say, um, what's it, what's it called? People say, you know, we have free will. We can choose God. Or we can reject God. Uh, that God doesn't uh, impose Himself on us, or He doesn't uh, He doesn't take away our free will. But the reason why that's flawed is because we have a sin nature, which says that we don't want the things of God. We can't want the things of God. We're not. We're never gonna love God because that's totally contrary to our nature. And so that even though we do have free will, it's bound by our nature. It's bound by our desires. So that God. 
and the sovereignty has to he has to change our nature he has to open our eyes uh, like Nima was saying he has to open our hearts so that we are willing to choose him and so in that sense God is predestinating he's he's choosing who will be able to see him whose natures will be changed who will come to him in repentance and so that's just one uh, answer that people have tried to make uh, in order to like understand how these two things work out that man is maybe not as free as we think he is uh, that he's bound in the same way that god is bound by his uh, by his nature right by his holy will Any questions, comments? It's... <laughs> I mean, there are like whole books written on this. So we're just trying to uh, go through it quickly. Um, what about yeah. like when you are um, asking the Holy Spirit to come and open your eyes so that God's presence will dwell in you? Mm-hmm. So are you saying that like you you feel like isn't that uh, man initiating to God like asking God to come and? Well, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm like in that scenario, like when people, you know, say, then what is the point of asking God to? What is it? <laughs> oh, like, like what's what? the point of praying to God if? Well, I know the point where like you're submitting to God you know, all omnipotence, but, like, um, where does, like, man's part play in this, in, in terms of, like, asking the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us? Like, are you saying that God already, you know, predestined who would ask for God to come for... So you're, so there's the question of, uh, is man... Like, uh, the purpose of prayer... Uh-huh. And asking for God to open your eyes. What is what is the purpose? If God has already determined who's gonna, whose eyes are gonna be open and whose eyes aren't gonna be open, what's the point of praying and asking for that? Are you talking about like believers praying for our eyes to be like even wider and like receive more? Uh, or like praying? people? Well, I guess then the logic would be, oh, God already knew you were gonna ask for that. So predestination, right? Yeah, God already knew that you would ask for His presence because mm. you're already seeking God. So, you're, so yeah. what you're saying is that God knew that you were going to ask, and therefore He's He looks back. So, like, like two million, two thousand, two trillion years ago, He like looked into the future and He saw, and He's going to ask me. So I'm going to predestine her to be to have her eyes open. Is that what you're saying? Like the starting point is important. Are you talking about believer praying or uh, believer praying? <laughs> well, you know how like at churches they ask, uh, so believers, mm-hmm. and you uh, want Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Or like when people like, for instance, like the charismatic churches when they ask, like, you know, God is inviting you, <laughs> mm-hmm. like. You know, are you going to ask and ask that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Because you're talking about yeah. like man's sinful nature and how we can't respond because of our nature. Mm-hmm. But what if other people say, "Well, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, 
then we are able to see God. Well, there's, I think the answer that we would take is that uh, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit already dwells in you. Uh, when you become a believer, uh, God has already given you a new nature. Uh, the sin that's that we continue to struggle with is just kind of like, it's no longer alive, it's dead, but it still thrashes about. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when you cut a lizard's tail off, the, the, it still moves around. But what about a non-believer then? Then the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in them at all? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't dwell in them, but uh, the Holy Spirit so doesn't dwell. So how does dwell. it... But he's like, he's like drawing people to himself. <clears throat> he's wooing them. He's, uh, he's beginning the process. Because it's not like you, you open your... You like wake up one day and then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm converted. But it's a process, right? Where God is like wooing you, he's like. Well, maybe you know, for some like. Oh, okay. So God was initiating, and He is constantly wooing you, and then He determines when you will accept His wooing. Isn't it? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm draw a tree. It's like confusing. Mm, yeah, and I'm, again, I'm not. I don't know if we can like clearly right, right, label right. like one, two, three, four. This is exactly what happens in conversion. Uh, but the idea that do it. Yeah, can you do it? Do it. Okay, start. I think this will really clarify things. Okay. I, I sense a lot of confusion. Um, start. Draw a timeline for us. Okay, and then and then create a causal link. So this is this is this is important. Everything yeah. rides on this timeline. Okay. Okay. So draw the timeline and start with faith. Put faith in the middle. We don't know where it is, but let's just put faith in the middle. Okay. So that's you responding in faith. Mm-hmm. Now what? So this is there anything that precedes it, or is there anything that um, follows it? Hmm? What does it convert? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to get you. No. So what happens no. before, or after? <laughs> before. Before that, God's ruling after He sends His own people to. So we're saying that it happens somewhere before. We don't know how much before, but somewhere in this general vicinity, God is. God is pursuing you. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, but, uh, so are you saying that God is pursuing everybody and that only some people respond then in the end the choice is up to you not up to God so wait God can you repeat that no. are you saying that God pursues everybody mm-hmm. but only some people respond and so that the ultimate choice is on you not well we're, we're talking about two. this is the life of a believer right But thoughts. That's a good question. Is God pursuing everybody and then only... Also, I think God... Well, I think what we think is that God created a bride for Christ way back mm-hmm. and then pursues them. Them being... The believing church. The elect. The church, the elect. Mm-hmm. Um... And so, therefore, he does not pursue everyone in the same way. In what way might it be different? So, God is pursuing like God in, in a different kind of way, it sounds like. Um, 
God will pursue certain people for his church, but God will also pursue uh, like non-believers to show just his magnitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so we talk about, I think it's the difference between common grace and electing grace, and no, special grace. Is this what limited atonement is? Am I using the vocabulary words correctly? Uh, so limited atonement basically means that God... that No, it's not entirely, but a little bit. Basically it means that Jesus only died for the elect. Okay, okay never mind, sorry. Because what I meant to say was like, it's not like... I feel like the, the definition of... Um, uh, like the idea of actual impossible is like a very good illustration. Like if you... If you draw a tree where like it starts with one decision, which leads to two, which both of those decisions lead to multiple things, because mm-hmm. I've I've always heard that like God is outside of our time zone, right? He's not. It's not like he's like he's you sitting things. Attention? Yeah, yeah. He's not like sitting there watching things unfold and is like ah, just as I planned it, you know. But I feel like because he he knows all the actual things as well as the possible things, you can like highlight one specific route. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, and then like, so he kind of sees how it's unfolding, and he knew it could have gone the other way, but he knows which way it's going, um, and I guess like, um, our salvation is also like that. It's not as if like um, somehow we can be like, oh, I prayed really hard that one time, and God's like, oh, the tree of path of how life is suddenly shifts, and then this person is now allowed in heaven. I feel like um, our our faith is predestined based on His grace, right? Mm-hmm. But then um, my question is like. Uh, because I feel like in our viewpoint, it's it seems as though if we like almost get in a car accident one time and we pray really hard, we've like we can say like oh because of that accident our lives were changed, and we feel like in like our our tree of choices, you know, we we shifted things up. But then I feel like for God in reality, like He knew all along that. Right. So you're saying that at man's level, from our perspective, it looks like let's say there was an accident here. There was like some kind of like, you know, life-changing incident here, whatever it might be, so that it looks like the tree is constantly changing. Yeah. But from man, from God's perspective, that He's the one that's like yeah. making everything happen yeah. um, according to how He wants it to unfold. Yeah. It's like yeah. that carnival game where you drop something and it goes, but then God's like, I already know what's going. Well, <laughs> he He's yeah chosen how it's He's. Uh, According to as well, how everything's going to work out, right? Okay. Uh, let's go back here real quick. Um, so the question is, is God predestining based on the fact that he foresaw faith? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no faith. Okay, so the question is, God is right here. He's like, before time begins. And he sees two people, the believer and the unbeliever. And he sees, so Michael's question is, is it the case that God sees forward, sees that this guy is going to believe, and so therefore God pursues him with a special kind of grace, so that ultimately, if this were true, that's option A. If that were true, then man is ultimately choosing. Right? Because God responds to man. God pursues us with a special kind of grace after having seen that we would choose him first. Or... Is it, or, and then, like, with the unbeliever, he stretches forward and he sees that he's not going to have faith. So God only shows common grace, like, you know, the goodness of weather and food and stuff like that. So that's option A. Or is it option B, where God 
decides from the get-go who's gonna who he's gonna pursue who he's not gonna pursue and that God moves and he he's the one that makes sure that this happens B. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Is anybody, is anybody unsure? Does anybody see why it's B? Wait, so he creates lack of faith? Yeah. Ooh, that's a great question. How does this happen? Is God... Our nature makes us not receive faith on our own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And so we would say that God over here, he has to actively... Pursue people. Whereas over here, we're just like as we we are. Like yeah, it's almost like he's just not doing anything. He's just letting go, and he's letting us <laughs> go on our trajectory away from him <laughs> towards hell. Uh, it's that God is almost like passively just letting, allowing. He's permitting it to just happen. Um, and even though, in a sense, he's still choosing because he's oh. Uh, uh, you, you finish it. Okay, because I was be that, even though in a sense he's still choosing by choosing not to pursue someone, he's choosing to allow it to happen. So God is still sovereign. It's not like God is saying, like people are like, oh, I want to believe, and God is like, No, I hate you. You can't believe. That's not what's happening here, right? God is uh, allowing them to just go their way. He's giving them what they want. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna bring up um, what about like the hardening of hearts like Pharaoh or the sons of Eli yes <clears throat> oh that verse <laughs> <laughs> they always bring that up <laughs> makes it so difficult <laughs> uh, do you guys all sad. know that reference it's just, it's just sad this I, is, uh, I think it's sad <laughs> So this is sons of Eli, or this is like from First Samuel. Pharaoh, this is when uh, during the Exodus, God is like, "Let my people go on Pharaoh." No, and so there's a couple lines where it says God is like, He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God says, "I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let you go, so that I can show, I can do miracles, I can show my glory." And so, what's going on here? Doesn't isn't isn't it giving God kind of a pass to say that he's just passively doing it, that he's permitting it to happen? Is there an active kind of hardening? predestination. Thoughts? Michael, you want to intervene? <laughs> it's your class. Okay. The answer um, is the Bible's hopelessly contradictory. To, you can make no heads and tails of it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, heard it, I heard it before that it was like Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. Mm-hmm. And then so he, he was already um, hostile to God, but God hardened it even further so that, um, uh, in a sense, uh, Pharaoh was even more hateful. And mm-hmm. so that um, worse things would, would come about. And I don't know, so that God would. <clears throat> So it sounds like you're saying that Pharaoh was already on a trajectory towards hardening his heart. Mm-hmm. And so that God... Did he get chances to... Pharaoh? Yeah. 
I mean, he got chances in the sense that, like, God, like, kept showing uh-huh. miracles. That his like, heart was hard hardening. Yeah, he, and it says he kept hardening his heart. I, yeah, I don't think, um, Harry, mm-hmm. that is correct. Yeah, I, I just, I just throwing that in because I heard that from somebody. Because if, if you say that God actively hardens someone's heart, mm-hmm. in the sense that they weren't going to be as hard. Like, maybe mm-hmm. Pharaoh's, like, level B mm-hmm. of, of uh, rebellion. But God's like, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to put you at level C. And so, so God, so, so Pharaoh's just like, no, and God's like, and then Pharaoh's like, ah, no, right? No, that, that, that would mean that God is forcing Pharaoh to do what he doesn't want to do. Because he naturally wants to be at level B, but God is putting him at level C. That is not correct. When it says that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's speaking of it from the divine perspective. What if it's, does it mean like God let his heart stay hardened? Yeah, I, there's a really haunting passage in Romans chapter 1 where it's God says, or where Paul says that God gave them up to their desires. Mm. That is a really scary phrase. What is the worst thing God could do for us? What, I mean, what is the worst punishment God can do to us? He can let us have what we want. That's what God gave Pharaoh. I think it's hard, hard to understand too because it's an active uh, verb saying he's hardening. And so that's, I think that's where the, uh, the rub is. Where it sounds like God is actively doing it. Yeah, he's not violating us, though. So, the only person he violates is the believer. The only person he intervenes is the believer. Because all of us are on, we're, we're running towards a pit of fire. We're all running. And you could say that God hardens people by saying, okay, run, do what you want. But for the believer, he grabs them, throws them down, wrestles them, and points them towards life, you know? So he, he, in that sense, does God um, harden Pharaoh in the same way that he awakens believers? Yeah. The answer is absolutely no. Mm-hmm. God violates the, our believers' hearts yeah. in the sense he wakes <laughs> us up. But, but he does not violate the hearts of unbelievers. And when it says if God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he's letting Pharaoh do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not in any way stopping Pharaoh. So I think what that's saying is that for even for every unbeliever, for every person who hates God, God is still actively holding that person back. So that they're not fully experiencing the full depths of where, they could, of where their unbelief could take them. <clears throat> he nev- every single human being is held back by God. Mm. And in that instance with Pharaoh, God let go. And so Pharaoh went all the way down. Um, and then that's the scary reality of hell. In hell, God finally releases his grip. And he finally says to everybody in hell, you may have what you so want. So like no conscience. No. Yeah. No Do what civil, you want. Yeah. yeah, and so I think what's really scary is that um, everybody who's destined for hell is getting exactly what they want. No one can complain <clears throat> that God is forcing them. No one can say that their will is being violated. Everyone is pursuing their own happiness, in a sense. Yeah, so the idea that, I think that's really fascinating, the idea that, like, maybe Pharaoh's heart would have been hardened at level, like, F. And then that God, in his, like, love, and his common grace, he was, like, holding Pharaoh back so that he was only experiencing a hardened, hardened heart of level B. But when it says maybe uh, that God hardened his heart, uh, that God was letting go and letting him fall down to where he naturally is in his hardened state and is without God intervening so that he was like 
falling really quickly. Oh. Yeah, it's really quickly. I think the, the hard thing for me about that is like, it sounds like there's just two groups of people, like people who always hate God and then people who love God. So there's, it seems like um, you're saying that uh, God's just letting go of people who, letting go of some people, and then all those people hate God. But when we look at it just from a human level, uh, then it looks like some people are pursuing God, but they don't find Him. But um, I think uh, I think something that helped me was that to know that if you sit down and talk to them, ultimately they're just seeking the wrong thing. Uh, in the sense that, so it, everyone is kind of one or the other. You know, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas when we on our level we see like, no, this guy, I think this guy's looking for God, but he's not letting him in. You know, so it seems like uh, uh, like there's just this. Uh, there's something else going on. There's like it seems like there's a middle. There's like a middle spot. But yeah, really so just <laughs> I think so. Maybe if like this is our this is where death happens. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are on this eternal trajectory up, and there are some people who are on this eternal trajectory down. But it's possible that in this life, they'll still we'll get the two confused. It'll look right. it might look one way or the other. Um, but, you know, we don't know where it happens or how sharp the descent is or how sharp the ascent is. Yeah. But that ultimately, God has elected some and he has allowed others to go on their way. There's a great line from C.S. Lewis. He said, in the end, there will only be um, two kinds of people. Uh, those to whom God says, uh, those to whom, those to wh- those people who say to God, Thy will be done. These are believers. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Um, and uh, I remember reading that in C.S. Lewis and just like feeling shivers because it's so haunting. There's only two ways to go. Either you delight in God's will or you delight in your own. And, and the worst punishment God can give us, it says, God says, go ahead, pursue what you want. And if this is true, or because this is true, rather, it should create an enormous sense of humility, an enormous sense of gratitude, because we know that it's not because of anything that we ever did. It's not because we were somehow inherently better than the non-believer. Uh, but it's that purely by God's grace that we were running away from God. I love the illustration that we were running away from God and that God had to like throw us down. Uh, and that he had to wrestle us to the floor and open our eyes. And so that we can, no, nobody can boast saying that they chose God. Nobody can boast saying that uh, they are somehow superior, morally or intellectually superior to the unbeliever. It's purely by God's grace. And that creates an enormous sense of humility, of gratitude, uh, of worship. So, that's amazing. We should take great assurance of faith, great uh, joy in God's predestinating love. And his I guess one way to say it is that um, all people have free will except Christians. Christians are mercifully violated or wrestled. Mm. Mercifully violated. Good Twitter. Good tweet. Okay, well, let me, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you uh, that though uh, this doctrine oftentimes confuses and um, even. Yeah, that people just don't like it. It feels like you are being unfair and petty. Uh, that 
when we truly consider that it is a source of great joy, of great hope, of great humility and gratitude, and we pray that uh, that, that would be so in our own lives, uh, that it wouldn't, again, be some dry thing, but that we would learn to revel in you, that we would learn to praise you for the greatness of your grace. Uh, so we pray that as we go into worship now, you'd be with us, aid us, aid our hearts, open us, uh, open our hearts even more, so that we can love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.